let's pray and let's commit the time to the Lord. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you that we have the opportunity to open your word. And I ask that as we do so, that you would speak into our our lives, cause us to, to hear you, keep us from distractions. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So when I finished high school, um, I was going to come to he- here to school, to EI. And in that summer period, I really wanted a job. I grew up in Japan and we came back to the States. And so um, I was adjusting to being back here in America. And, and I really wanted a construction job. I thought it'd be cool to learn some sort of skill. I thought it'd be really cool to learn to do something with my hands. And so I really desired to, to work in construction. And so I, I contacted everyone that, that I knew and that my parents knew that were into construction. They were working in that field. And all the doors closed. Like I couldn't find work. There's no job that opened up. And it was kind of a bummer because, like I said, I really wanted to learn some construction skills. And I didn't have that opportunity in, in Japan. Well, summer got going, and and I was just laying around the house. And I didn't really want to do that, you know. I wanted to work. I didn't want to be just a bum over the summer. Um, and, uh, and so my brother and a, a close friend... They were working at a camp. It's called Camp Marietta. It was just up the road in, in Marietta, South Carolina. And my brother knew that I wasn't able to find work. And so he talked to me and said, look, I, I think I can get you a job here at camp. The camp had already started and they were into the camping season. But he said, I think you, I can get you some work. And um, and so I went up there. I talked to the director. They, they gave me a job and it was a great summer. Uh, I had so much fun working with my brother, with my other friend, and um, and I was so thankful that even though the Lord had closed what I wanted, He provided something else that was that was way better. And in fact, years later, the Lord would use that experience in a different way. And I'll talk with you about that later on as we get going. This, this morning. But this morning, what we're talking about is this idea of desires. You know, I wanted, I had the desire for a specific job to work construction. And we're going to be talking about our desires. And really, the, the question being, what do we do with our desires? Now, there's a lot that we could say regarding desire. It's a really broad term. So, what do I mean by by desires? Uh, we're, we're we're thinking about um, well. Let me give you different kinds of of desires. Um, desires are are complex, so I found it helpful to kind of categorize our our desires, break it down, and I'll tell you why we're we're doing that in, in a moment. But when we talk about desire, uh, we're talking about when you sense a need and you try to fulfill that need. So you sense there's some sort of need, and, and then you try to, to, to seek to fulfill the need. And that's a desire when you seek to fulfill the need. I, I felt like I needed to have a job and work in construction. So I tried to find a construction job, and, and it didn't work out. But that's what I had desired. And um, 
you know, desires are, are complex. I, I don't want to oversimplify it. But yeah, you could think of a desire as, as ha- sensing a need and and then trying to fulfill it. Now, now, sometimes what we think will fulfill the need isn't really what will. We, but in our minds, it, it seems like it, it does. Let me give you an example. Right now, I'm looking to buy another van. I own a van. Um, but it's not in the greatest shape. It's pretty old. It's got over 200,000 miles. It's leaking oil. It's leaking coolant. It's got some suspension issues. Um, my family's expanding. So I have two little ones, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And we have another one due in like two weeks. And we have a car, but that's not going to work anymore. We need a van. And, um, and so, you know, the need is to transport my family all together. We won't fit in a car. And in my mind, to fulfill that need, I'm thinking I need to get a reliable van. That's in my mind. I don't really need it, though. I could fix up my van, and it'd be sufficient. But I'm I'm thinking to fulfill that need of transporting my family all together, I need a little bit more reliable transportation. So you sense a need, and, and you seek to, to fulfill that, but sometimes what we think will meet the need isn't really what's going to cut it. It isn't really going to do it. Because, um, like I said, I don't really need another used van. Um, I can work with the one that, that I have. But when we talk about desire, again, we're trying to understand that term. Um, you could think of it, again, as a sense you have a need that leads to a desire to fulfill that that need. And when we talk about desire, again, you can think about different types of desire. And like I said, it's important that we understand this because of what I'll be talking about in just a moment. But um, in my mind, it's helpful to think of desire in three different categories, okay? Um, you can have sinful desires. What do you think is a sinful desire? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, lust, that um, that might be a, a sinful desire. So, yeah. Revenge. Revenge, yeah. Someone does something to you, and you desire to get back at them. And the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's in Romans and, and elsewhere. That's a desire, but the Lord says, no, no, let me handle it. I'll, I'll avenge you. Um, so re- revenge can be a, a sinful desire. Like we said, lust uh, can be a, a sinful desire. Um, what about wanting something that someone else has? Coveting. That's, that's pretty clear in Scripture that that's wrong. That's sinful. That's something we shouldn't desire. It's someone else, what else, someone else has. Uh, so that's another desire. So we, we can have sinful desires. But not all desire is wrong. Some of them are God-given desires, and, and they're healthy desires. Uh, let me give you some examples of what I would call like neutral desires. They're, they're not sinful, uh, but they're just kind of neutral. Like the desire, and, and Matt mentioned it last night, or Matthew mentioned it last night, the desire to be in a relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's just healthy. I mean, it's not good for man to be alone. That's that's what was said of Adam when God created him, and and so um, it's 
to, the desire to seek a relationship isn't necessarily a wrong thing. It can be a God-given thing. Um, what about the, the desire to eat? That's just a neutral, that's just a desire. That's nothing wrong with that. In a couple of hours, you're going to want to eat lunch. And, and we'll go and, and eat lunch. So, um, again, that's, there's nothing wrong with that desire for, for food. Um, another neutral desire might be the, the desire for healing. Maybe you're not feeling well. Maybe you know someone who's sick and you really want them to be healed. That's, that's a good desire. I mean, there's nothing sinful. Okay. So we have sinful desires. We can't have sinful desires. We can have more of these neutral desires, or we can even have what I would call godly desires. And that's something like wanting to fight sin in your life. That's a, that's more than just neutral. That's a godly desire that God puts in your heart because you've been born again. And, and that's a good sign that you actually have new life, that you're fighting sin and you want to fight it. So that's a godly desire. Uh, the desire to read God's word, that would be like a godly desire or to pray or to memorize scripture. So those are godly, what I would call godly de- desires. So we have sinful desires, we have neutral, we have godly desires. Um, and and a lot of these are like neutral and godly, they can, they can be intertwined, they can overlap sometimes. Um, so again, desires are kind of complex. Um, so the the question then becomes, well, how do you know if a desire is sinful or, or not? And I would say two things. First of all, what's motivating your desire can indicate whether or not a desire is sinful. Um, the desire to uh, to want to have friends, again, companionship. God's created us as social beings. So there's nothing really wrong with wanting to to be have to have friends, but what about when you want to be popular so that everyone thinks you're cool? That's kind of a sinful desire. That's you wanting to exalt yourself. You self is at the center of that desire. It's not you that you want friends. You just want people to praise you and gather around and clap at your accomplishments. And so you want to be popular. So you do all kinds of things to be popular. I would say that's, that's a sinful desire. Um, but, but you can also have that same desire to want friends because you, you want to serve people. You want to love people and, and you just want some friends. And so you see how it's kind of complex at times, but what's motivating that desire can often indicate if it's more of a sinful desire or neutral. And, um, what else can, can make something sinful or not sinful is what are you looking to, to fulfill your desire? So sometimes that can be what makes it, it sinful. Um, so again, uh, it, it's pretty, it's complex. Desires are complex and, and how you deal with your desires is different based on the type of desire. Okay. And I, really, the whole point of what I've been saying is to get to this point, okay? So if you haven't been listening, listen to this. The way that you deal with sinful desire is different than the way that you deal with, like, a neutral desire, okay? This morning, we're not going to talk about how to deal with sinful desire. Um, that's a whole other topic, 
How do you deal with these sinful desires that, that you have? And, um, and that's a whole, you could uh, go to Romans 6. That's where I would take you. But we're not going there this morning. We're not going to look at that. Our purpose this morning is to think about these more neutral desires. What do you do with those desires? What do you do with the desire to be in a relationship? You like a guy or you, you like a girl and, uh, and you just want to be into that relationship. Again, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Um, but what do you do with that? Uh, what do you do with the desire for, for maybe just a, a friend? You're not interested in like a romantic relationship, but you know, maybe all your friends are in your family and you're like, I just want a good friend outside of my family. I want a best friend, someone that I can just open up my heart to and, and, and we can share some experiences together. And again, companionship, I, I think that's a healthy desire. And what do you do with that? Uh, maybe another desire that you might have is, like me, you want a job, and, and it's not that you necessarily even want money. It's just you want to work. You want to learn something and, and develop a skill. What do you do with those desires? So we're talking about this these neutral desires. Again, that, that's our focus for this this morning. And um, we, we're going to be looking at a passage in Scripture where Paul expresses a desire that he had. And we're going to see what does he do with that desire. And what does the Lord, how does the Lord respond to him with that, that desire? So our passage is actually found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a verse you've already heard at this conference. And you'll, you'll recognize it in just a moment. But before we read this passage, uh, let me give you a little bit of background because without the background, it seems a little confusing. What, what is Paul even talking about? Like, where is he going? Um, so Paul started the church in Corinth. He was the one that, that brought those people together and, and they started fellowshipping. They were a church. He planted the church we, is what we, we call it. So he started this church. And he worked there for a while, he moved on, and there were these problems that started to happen within the church. And there are a lot of problems. If you read through First and Second Corinthians, you realize there are a lot of problems there among, among those believers. And uh, one of the problems was that there were some people that had come into the fellowship of believers they, that started getting together, and they were teaching, like, a wrong gospel. And they were promoting themselves as these church leaders, these apostles and were these great teachers. And and they actually started kind of downplaying and criticizing and opposing Paul in his ministry and discrediting the gospel. And Paul hears about it. And so he, he writes to them and he defends his his role within the church, his apostleship, his, his position that God had given to him. Because he realizes if these believers uh, listen to these false teachers, they're going to be led astray and they're going to be deceived. And so he's concerned for them. And he, and he writes to defend his apostleship, his role in the church. Um, and he does that in the latter part of, of 2 Corinthians, in the part that we're looking at. 
And so he gets into this section where he's talking about boasting. And if you look actually in chapter 11, verse 30, um, you know, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. You know, he has these opponents and you would think if Paul's trying to defend himself, he should definitely pick the strategy of boasting about the great Christian that he is and the great experiences that he has. And yet he says something strange there. He says, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses, the things that show my, my weakness. Why? Why would you boast about your weakness, Paul? Don't you want to boast about the good things you've done? Are the great experiences you have so that you look better than your opponents? Why boast about your weakness, the things that show your weakness? Well, he's going to answer that question in chapter 12 and in actually in the passage that we're looking at. But we're also going to see within this passage a desire that Paul has. And I want you to be looking out for that. What's his desire? How does he, well, what does he do with his desire and then how does the Lord respond to him? Okay, so look for his desire. And what does he do with his desire as we read this passage? Okay, so we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, 1. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. What's the third heaven? Well, th- there's this understanding at this time that um, there were three different heavens. There was where the clouds were. There was where the stars were. That's the second heaven. Clouds would be the first. Stars are the second. And then the third heaven is what we know as heaven, where where God dwells. Okay, and, and so he he's... This person, at this point, he just says it's this guy that he knows that's transported to the third heaven, to, to where God dwells. And um, he says, whether in body or out of body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I'll refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So we read, and and we're going to find out in just a moment in verse 7, that Paul is actually referring to himself. He really doesn't like to boast. And and so he refers to this man, but it really seems like he's talking about himself, that he's had this vision. And it was, if you read through the book of Acts, you realize Paul did have these visions and these kind of spiritual experiences. So he could boast about those and look better than his opponents. But again, he says, I'd rather talk about my my weaknesses instead of talking about these great spiritual experiences that I've had. And then in verse 7, look at verse 7, he talks about a particular weakness that he has. He says this, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, 
to keep me from becoming conceited. So to keep Paul humble, notice he's given something called a thorn. That's how he refers to it. And, and we don't really know what that exactly is. Um, we know certain things about it, but we're not really sure. In fact, if you look at certain commentators, they'll say, other people have tried to guess, and, and they've come up with like 12 different thorns that he, he might have had. Um, and it, it ranges from like malaria to poor eyesight to headaches to maybe uh, discouragement and mental health issues and things like that. But the, the matter is, we don't know. We just don't know. Paul doesn't get specific. He just says it's a thorn in, in the flesh. But there are certain things that we do know about this thorn in the flesh that he indicates from, from this verse. First of all, we know that it was given to him. It says, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Meaning, Paul knows that God is sovereign and he's allowed this in Paul's life. He's allowed the thorn, that, that thorn to be there. Um, that's one thing we know about the thorn. The next thing we know about the thorn is that Paul says, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So it would seem like that the devil's behind it in some way, um, or demons are involved in some way, and they're behind this thorn that Paul is experiencing. Um, it, it's kind of like the, the story of Job. Um, if you remember that, Job suffered a lot. Uh, it looked like it was people, but it was really the devil using people, but ultimately God was allowing it to happen, and, and, he, and the devil could only go as far as God allowed him to go. Um, and that kind of reminds me of, of Paul here and his own experience. But he has this thorn. It was given him to him. Another thing to, to note about this thorn is that it's really painful. It's harassing him. That's what it says in the ESV. Uh, NASB says tormenting him. The idea of the Greek word there is it's like striking him with a fist. It's hitting him. It's beating him up. So this is hard, and the whole image of a thorn being in you, it sounds painful, right? I mean, who here likes splinters? Like, no one likes splinters. You know, you get them in your hands, and they're like, oh, get them out of me sort of thing. It's painful, and that's Paul's experience. He's experiencing pain because of this thorn here, and he's in tremendous pain. And um, And so... He, he, though he sees a purpose in it, what's the purpose that God has for allowing this thorn? What does it say there in verse 7? Yeah, to keep him from getting proud, um, from exalting himself. This, this is humbling him. Whatever it is, whatever this thorn is, it's keeping him from becoming conceited. So he understands something of, of, of the Lord's purpose in allowing this thorn. Even though he doesn't like it, he would rather be rid of it, as we'll re read in just a, a moment. So even though God had allowed him to have these incredible spiritual experiences, these visions, these revelations, God has also allowed this thorn that's causing a lot of pain and suffering. And, um, and yet it's keeping him humble. And it just goes to show that God truly values humility in a person's life. I mean, scripture says God resists the proud. That's strong language.
use a, a proud person. Um, a person who's proud isn't usable to the Lord, and uh, he resists that per- type of person. And, and yet, Paul is being humbled here. God values humility. He resists the proud. And, and so this is humbling Paul. So what is Paul's desire? Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. What's Paul's desire? What would you say? Yeah, he wants the pain to be gone. That's his need. It, he, he's in a lot of pain and suffering. He wants that removed. That's what he's looking to. The need, he's got this thorn that's tormenting him and harassing him, beating him up, causing a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. And he wants that removed. That's how he wants, that's his desire. The fulfillment for him would be that this, this would be gone. It would leave me. That's what he's hoping for. That's what he's desiring. And so what does he do with his desire? What does he do there? It's uh, not, a, not a trick question. He prays about it. He goes to the Lord about it. Here's my desire, Lord. Let it leave me. He prays. He takes his desire to the Lord and he prays about it. Even though he knew what the Lord was doing, it was keeping him humble, he prays about it. And he prays with great intensity. Again, um, in the ESV, it says pleaded. What are some other translations? What is that word there? Instead of pleaded, how do some other translations translate that Greek word there? He saw it. Okay. Does someone have a NASB? What does it say in the NASB? Entreated. Um, he implored, that's a, another word that can be, I mean, the strong language of he really wants this gone. So he's crying out to the Lord. He's entreating the Lord. He's, he's pleading with the Lord. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want the thorn. So he cries out to the Lord with great intensity, but he also cries out to the Lord many times, three times. And we don't know was that three in in one day or was that like three days and each day he prayed about we don't know but what we do know is it was multiple times he keeps coming to the lord three times and and just lord take it away lord take it away lord please take it away that was his desire and he takes his desire and he prays about it and that's a good place for us to start with our desires what do we do with our desires? Well, a good place to start is to pray about it. We go, should go to the Lord. Lord, this is my desire. You can be honest with the Lord. Here's where I'm at. This is what I would like. And, and, and talk to him about it. Pray about it. Surrender it to him. And it might be something you have to do several times, just like Paul. He does it three times. You might have to pray over and over about your desire. But take it to the Lord. Isn't it true that oftentimes we don't do that and we think, here's my need, I'm just going to fulfill it myself. I'm going to deal with it my, myself. I know in my own life, I've done that before. I've had desires that um, I prayed about it, but if I was honest, I was more just wanting God to approve of my plan. <laughs> like I had in my mind, here's my need, here's how I want it to be solved 
Uh, I know I should pray about it. So Lord, help me. Okay, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do, do something about it. Uh, in, in particular, it was, I wanted to be in a relationship. So uh, I liked this girl and I liked her for a while. And, and I was like, well, I guess I should pray about it. And, and I just kind of just, okay, Lord, help. okay. Yeah, I'm going to, it, it didn't work out. <laughs> uh, we dated for a while and uh, our friendship just kind of fell apart. I mean, it wasn't anything wrong. She's a great girl and we both love the Lord, but it just, it wasn't of the Lord. And, but, you know, I had the desire and I, I, like I said, I prayed about it a little bit, but I was more just wanting God to approve of my plan. And I didn't really give it to him and just open it to him and say, Lord, you take and do with it whatever you want. But Paul comes, he pleads with the Lord and he asks that it would be taken away so how does the Lord respond to Paul and his desire and, and his prayer regarding his desire? Well, look at verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, does anyone remember where we've heard that already? I was listening last night. <laughs> Stephen, last night, he referred to this verse in, in his testimony. Uh, that he, he quoted this verse, my grace is sufficient. You know, you could sum up the Lord's response to Paul as essentially, no, Paul, I'm not going to take the thorn away. Um, instead, I'm going to do something different. But he, he, he kind of says no to Paul. Haven't you had that experience? You've prayed about something a lot, implored the Lord, and the Lord says no. Paul had that experience. And yet God had something else in mind that he was going to work out that was even greater. See, Paul had his idea of how his need should be fulfilled. And it's like the Lord comes along and says, I'm going to meet your need in a different way. Not the way you think you need that need met. I'm going to fulfill it in my own way. And so I'm not going to give you what you want, but I'm going to do something better. And, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. What's really interesting about the Greek word um, he said, that word said, it has the idea of an enduring statement. Why is that important? Well, one commentator, the way he put it is, it would apply to Paul for the rest of his life in any situation. So what the Lord says to him doesn't just apply with this thorn. It's going to go beyond that. And, and Paul recognizes that. And we'll see that in just a few verses here. But this principle of my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Real quick, what does that even mean? My grace is sufficient for you. Well, if you remember, Matt, Matthew, I keep wanting to call him Matt, but um, Matthew last night, he talked about grace, right? And one of you received his grace. <laughs> uh, uh, the $20 bill, you guys remember that last night? Uh, you know, grace is God's unmerited favor. That's how he defined it last night. Uh, in this particular instance, 
when the Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient, when he refers to his grace, he's talking about his enabling because he links grace to his power in that next statement. So he's saying to Paul, my unmerited favor, my my strength, my empowering, that's what he's referring to when he says grace here. My grace, it's of the Lord. Um, it's the Lord. That's the source of power is the Lord. He says, my grace, my power. He's going to enable Paul in the midst of the pain. He's going to empower Paul, even though the pain makes him feel weak. He's going to enable Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient. It's adequate. It's enough. That's the idea there. For my power is made perfect in weakness. What does it mean to be perfect? Like, what does it mean my power is made perfect? The idea behind perfect there is it's complete. It reaches its full strength. So um, one way that I've seen this uh, put is, is this, my power comes to full strength. That's what the Lord's saying. It reaches its full strength even when you feel weak, in your weakness, my, my strength is going to be enough. It's going to be adequate. It's going to be sufficient. Even when you feel deficient, Paul, it's going to be enough. And so, again, ultimately, the Lord says no to Paul's desire of removing the thorn. Um, he says, I'm not going to take it away, in essence, but again, that's not the end of the story. He doesn't just leave him in his pain. He says, I'm going to meet your need in another way. I, I'm going to give you strength to endure. I'm going to give you the enabling. I'm going to make my power, my life available to you, Paul. That's, that's what the Lord is saying here. Um, you know, sometimes we pray about our desires. That's a good place to start. And sometimes the Lord says no. Sometimes he says, no, you know, you think this is your need. You think this is how you should fulfill it. But I have another way I'm going to fulfill that need. And and so he he doesn't always fulfill our needs the way we think he, he should, but he will meet us. He met Paul. And he met Paul in an incredible way. But sometimes when the Lord says no to our desires, can't we sometimes respond in bitterness? When he says no to us, sometimes we can feel like the Lord isn't good and we can start to have all kinds of doubts about the character of God. Why doesn't he just give me what I've asked him for? I have this great desire. There's nothing wrong with it. Why, why can't I just be in a relationship? Why does he keep saying no? Well, he has his purpose. He has his plan. So how did Paul respond to the Lord saying, I'm not going to take the thorn away. Well, look at verse, the end of verse 9. Paul comes to two different conclusions. We see one in the end of verse 9. We see another one in the end of verse 10. Paul says this at, at the end of verse 9, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Again, he's saying, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me or rest in me. The idea of that that part, so that the, the power of Christ may rest on me, it literally can be translated that the power of Christ may pitch a tent over me. 
I think that's a really cool picture. Here's Paul in his weakness. And, and the Lord says, no, in your weakness, I'm going to give you the power, the grace, the enabling. And when I do that, it's like I pitch a tent. So that when you are in your weaknesses, what do people see? They see Christ's power displayed. And then Christ is then glorified. My power will rest over you like a, a tent. So then Paul says, that's why I boast about my weaknesses. Because when I boast about it, people don't see me. They see the power of Christ over me. How, Paul, how are you dealing with this thorn? Christ is enabling me. And, and therefore, Christ is then seen in Paul's weaknesses, and it brings glory to Christ. See, if the thorn had been removed, people want to see Christ's power. But because the thorn exists and Paul is enduring, he can have a testimony of, you know what, the God, God said no, but he's helping me. He's enabling me. And that, that brings great glory to the Lord. And so Paul says, I'll do that about my other weaknesses, because the only way I can make it through my weaknesses is because Christ is strengthening me. It's his grace that's sufficient. And so he says, that's why I boast about my weaknesses. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And, and Christ can be seen. And Christ can then be glorified. And my opponents, they exalt in themselves. I exalt in Christ, in who he is to me. And it's in my weaknesses that everyone else around me can see the power of Christ over me and in me. And so he says, that's why I boast. I boast about my weaknesses. And he's not just sulking. He's glad. He's glad to boast of them. Again, so that Christ can be displayed. And it's his power that's being uh, displayed over Paul and in Paul. And, and so Paul, again, he sees this grace that's sufficient that applies more to just the thorn it's in other weaknesses. In verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. So it's not just in the thorn that, it's, that God's grace is sufficient. It's, it's in these other areas as well, this, this principle of his grace being sufficient. And he says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. He knows that truth applies in all other kinds of situations and circumstances. And so um, not only is he going to boast about his weaknesses, but then again, another conclusion that he makes is in that verse 10. He says, I'm content. He's, he's come to a place of acceptance that the Lord's not going to remove the thorn and that his grace is sufficient. He's content with weaknesses, not just one, but multiple weaknesses for the sake of Christ. So again, Paul's desire, take the pain away, take the thorn away. The Lord says, no, I'm going to meet it in a different way. And, and it brings Paul to a place of contentment, to acceptance, that his grace is sufficient. He knew the Lord would meet him can't help but think of uh, a lady named Sue Thomas. Some of you guys know her. She, she comes and shares with our students uh, here at the school. But um, if you don't know maybe her, maybe you know about this uh, TV series, uh, what was it, FBI? Um, 
And it, they did a whole TV series on this one lady, Sue Thomas. And the reason being is she was, um, she's deaf. And yet she started working, I won't go into the whole story because it, it's a wonderful testimony, but she started working for the FBI and she can read lips. And, and so she was able to help catch criminals because uh, she could stand at a distance or watch a video recording and, and read what they were saying, even though no one else who has the, the ability to hear could. Um, and so they made a whole TV series about, about her. But if you ever heard her testimony, you know that she struggled with her deafness. Um, growing up, you know, she, she didn't want it. Uh, and she, she loves being around people. But because she's deaf, she can't be around a lot of people. She's like an extrovert, but she can't be extroverted because she can only read lips. And, and if there's multiple people around, she can't keep up with the conversation. She gets lost. And, and that's really hard. And, and so, again, growing up, um, that was a real struggle for her to, to deal with her, her deafness. And, and yet the Lord ultimately used that to bring her to himself. And it's an incredible story. She, she didn't want to be deaf, and yet the Lord used that deafness ultimately to draw him, or draw her to, to himself. And, and ultimately she came to that place where Paul came, where he was, she was accepting of what the Lord had allowed in, in her life. And now she goes around just testifying to people of God's grace and what God has done in her life to, to draw her to, to himself. Just like Paul, she, she came to a place and he came to a place of acceptance. That this is what the Lord has for me. I have a desire. He didn't meet it, but he's provided something else in a place of acceptance and, and contentment. So how can we sum up what Paul has learned about his desires? And, and what do we learn from that? Again, Paul takes his desire to the Lord. He prays about it. He has a desire and he prays about it. And of course, the Lord said, no, we mentioned that. And, and so then Paul comes to this place of acceptance. Really, it's a place of trust that, that God's going to meet him over and over again. When he feels weak, God's going to meet him to have the power, the, the enabling. And he's okay with the thorn because he knows when I am weak, then I'm really strong because Christ's strength is enabling me in my weakness. So again, how does that relate to us? What do we do with our desires? Well, like we said, we should pray about them, offer them to the Lord, put them before the Lord, surrender them to the Lord, give them to the Lord. And it might be the Lord says, yeah, I'll, I'll do this for you. But it could also be the Lord says, no, what you think will meet the need isn't really going to cut it. I have something better and, and he might be leading some of us to a place of acceptance, which really means this. He can transform and change your desire. That's what happened to Paul. He came to a place of acceptance. God had changed his desires so that he wasn't praying about the Lord taking the thorn away. He was okay with it, again, so that Christ would be glorified. Let me go back to that story that I started with as we close out. Um, like I said, I had a great summer working up there at Camp Marietta. Several years went by and my friend went back to work for them again. And um, that summer, I, I think if I remember, I was doing summer school. 
And at the end of the summer, I had a little bit of time between the summer semester and the fall semester. And um, my friend contacted me and said, hey, the camp needs another guy counselor. Would you be willing to come back and help for just this one week? We're short. We have a lot of guys, but we don't have enough guy counselors. And so, you know, since I had worked there before, they knew me, I knew them. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll come back and work a week with uh, these elementary school kids. And uh, it was incredible um, to see God at work. Some, a number of the guys in my cabin were really into baseball, and it was their life. And over the course of that week, Christ convicted them that this was an idol. And I got to, to be a part of that process of um, seeing the Lord work and working with the Lord in their lives and to pray with them and to talk to them. And they'd come and pull me aside and say, I need to talk to you. And we'd talk about and pray together. And it was like the coolest thing to be working with the Lord. It was totally the Lord. I wasn't doing anything. But I got to be right there, just seeing the Lord at work in these guys' lives and their hearts. And it was awesome. And I just wonder, as I look back, if I had worked a construction job that summer like I really wanted, would I have wanted to go and work at that camp later on, years later? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I would have. But I just wonder if that's why the Lord said no to that desire to work construction. He had another plan, another purpose. And and I've, I've just wondered that years later, if... Um, you know, if I hadn't worked that one summer early, would I have been willing to go to some camp I didn't know and, and help them? But um, it's just neat to see how the Lord works out his purposes and plans. And again, we have our desires, but he knows what will meet that true need. We think we do, but he knows what will meet the need deep down in our hearts. All right, well, let's go ahead and close out our, our time in prayer. Father, I thank you that you meet us as we cry out to you, you see the, the needs of our, our hearts. You know better than we do what will meet those needs. And I pray for each one in this room that you would bring them to that place, where, like Paul, where they pray about it and they, they accept your purpose and your plan, whether to fulfill that desire or not. So we magnify you, I praise you, because you're a God who knows all things. You know what is best. I think that we can commit ourselves to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.